Hi, I'm Connor Fowler. And I'm Matt Smith. And you are listening to Apocalypse Duds. Here today, we are joined by the secondhand sniper, the persnickety picker, the emperor of eBay, the big dog bidder, the secondhand chic, the menswear mercenary, the god of Grail, the righteous lord of Ralph Lauren, the engineer of garments, the entrepreneur with the thrift store score. Here's Ken Pickart. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I think that's my new uh, Instagram bio right there. That's amazing. Dude, yes. It's please. yours. It is yours. Take it. Uh, yeah, we. this has become one of the things that we love to do in the, like, kind of run up to the show is to just figure out this like ridiculous shit that we can say about every person. Yeah. I really enjoy the, the engineer of garments. It's hey, amazing. <laughs> I, I, I got to take credit for that one. Yeah. That uh, was Matt. That was hell Matt. yeah. 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 yeah that's awesome. <laughs> so Ken, where did, uh, where did you grow up and where do you live now? Um, I grew up in Rhode Island and uh, I currently live in Vermont. Okay. Yeah. What, uh, what part of Rhode Island or what place in Rhode Island, I guess I should say, cause it's tiny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I always say like, you know, if you're explaining where you live in Rhode Island to someone who has never been to the state, you, you either live at the beach or you live 20 minutes from Providence and I fall into the 20 minutes from Providence camp. Okay. So all it's, right. it's all kind of, you know, all right. You know, it's, it's yeah, all totally, close totally. together. So I spent some time in Providence. It's a cool, cool little uh, it, like town. All right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I really like Providence. I actually did grow up like I from age five to about uh, 12. I lived in Providence uh, proper. Uh, and then we moved to the suburbs, although I kind of just consider all of Rhode Island a suburb uh, <laughs> when I turned 12 or some somewhere around there. So um, right, but, right. yeah, to be more specific, I live, I live right on the Massachusetts border, which is a lot of Rhode Island as well. But, uh, you know, it gives you a sense of, you know, a lot of our like, my mom is a teacher in Massachusetts, my dad works in Massachusetts, even though we lived in Rhode Island. So so it is, ge- I mean, it's geographically very tight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college in Boston. And, you know, at the time, being in this small state that only takes an hour to drive, like going to Boston felt like this really uh, far away place. Um, But now that I've moved even farther away from home, I realized that, you know, it's only an hour drive from Boston to where my parents live. And that's actually very close to each other. So totally, totally. That's that's the beauty of New England in general. Yeah, exactly. You know, outside of outside of maybe Maine, I guess, which is kind of big, but like compared to southern states, not really. Yeah. Well, and the other part with Maine, too, is that, you know, it's only the southern half that's really populated. And most people actually don't live in the majority of Maine. So how did you dress while you were growing up and how did your parents dress? Did that have some uh, influence on you? Yeah, I I definitely um, think that, you know, my parents had an influence on me in that way. Um, Growing up, uh, you know, I don't necessarily remember my younger years. I really only start to think about how I dressed in my teens. Um, But to give you some context, like I went to a Catholic private school and we had a dress code. And this was from first grade to senior year, Uh, you know, Oxford, Oxford shirt, 
khakis, you know, optional uh, sweater if you're feeling cold. Uh, you know, as I got into high school, I think it was, you know, a polo shirt. You know, all of these things are embroidered with the school's logo. Um, so my day to day was wearing that. And of course, you know, summers or time off, I kind of had some casual clothing, but it wasn't something I really thought about at all. Um, in regards to like how my parents dressed, uh, my dad is a big outdoorsman, you know, grew up, he was a rock climber, mountain climber, uh, and then kind of got into environmental science. And so he's kind of always had this, uh, you know, outdoorsman clothes, REI, that type of thing. Uh, and he would, you know, occasionally have to wear a, you know, a, a sport coat and, and tie to go to, go to work, but that was kind of the odd meeting. Um, and then my mom, uh, she's, a, a, she's a knitter, so she makes her own sweaters. And I think that definitely influences her style. I do know in like the eighties, she was really into kind of the Ralph Lauren preppy thing. And uh, kind of as I was growing up, she kind of, you know, started to introduce more of a bohemian kind of uh, hippie vibe. And uh, I think, yeah, that, that com combo of like preppy and hippie, I think actually describes my mom, my mom's <laughs> like whole personality pretty well, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of awesome, man. Like a, a, in, in ways, like a very New England type of uh, environment that you were in, but also exactly. Like you know, uh, also there's, there's a little bit of the counterculture there and the like crunchiness of, yeah. Of, yeah. That I guess most people wouldn't necessarily think about in new England. Uh, yeah, back no, then, at least. Yeah, no, there's definitely like my grandmother was a big deadhead and, uh, oh. my, my, and my mom would go to shows with her at, at one point. And uh, yeah, like there's definitely kind of like a, um, you know, a bit of a hippie culture that kind of comes with uh living in New England that's kind of maybe lesser known or kind of the intersection of that with kind of like yuppie culture and kind of a really interesting uh, Venn diagram there. So Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and wait, can just out of curiosity, how old are you? I am. That's a good question. No, I'm, I'm 30. <laughs> You're 30, 31 now? Yep. 31. Okay. All right. So yeah, that, that like, I guess your your mom probably would have been going to like some of the you know seventies eighties dead shows. Yeah, like, she she was. I think like they were kind of uh, when my mom would go with my uh, grandmother to dead shows. I want to say it was in the uh, like late eighties was kind of, and they would go to a lot of um, Jerry Garcia band shows too when, oh, the, when the dead gnarly. dead wasn't playing. So yeah, it's pretty sweet. I've actually kind of like gone through you sat down with my grandmother and kind of been like what shows were you at and had to show her how like there's recordings of every show online and i would play her some of the shows that oh she dude that's to. amazing are, yeah, are you that, into like the dead and, and oh yeah that? i uh, yeah uh, you know it's something growing up my mom had kind of uh fallen out from that scene and just like didn't listen to it at all when i was growing up and it was only maybe four or five years ago um that i started listening to the dead and really fell in with them and then i had to start talking to my mom and my grandmother about their stories and you know kind of hearing their experience with the band which was really cool oh hell yeah hell yeah uh i i do yeah. have a follow-up question to the uh uniform catholic school thing yeah absolutely what shoes did you wear uh, that's actually uh, kind of an interesting question because uh, the rules were always kind of changing around like what shoes you were supposed to wear. Um, I distinctly remember for maybe the, you know, first grade to about 
fourth, third or fourth grade, we were supposed to wear dress shoes. Um, okay. And my mom took this as buy me a pair of Doc Martens. Um, so, <laughs> because, you know, I think she was like, you know, you're a kid, you need something that can get beat up. You know, why are they putting you in dress shoes when you're a child? So right. I wore, I think I had a pair of black dark Doc Martens, like the classic Oxford um, oh, that I wore. Nice. Um, and then I do remember there being a point which was really exciting is that they allowed us to wear sneakers, but they had to be all black or all brown and you weren't allowed to have any mm. like colored branding on them. So that was very key. Now, I remember being really excited because I was, you know, just starting to get into skateboarding uh, around when I was eight or nine. And I remember being really excited that I got an all back black pair of ES skate shoes, which were I. I don't remember who skated for him at the time, but it was somebody that I idolized. And uh, it was really cool to be able to wear my skate shoes to, uh, to school. And then uh, going through through high school, I think it was kind of a similar rule where it was, you know, you could wear sneakers, but they had to basically not be particularly gaudy. Although I definitely remember kind of in my later years at the school, we would really um, not pay attention to that. And that was kind of when, you know, the really loud, you know, Nike dunks and that kind of thing were coming into po uh, popularity. And I did, we definitely wore some loud sneakers and, you know, would kind of be told like, hey, take those off and we're supposed <laughs> to stick them in our lockers for the day. And Yeah. You know. It's like you got a backup pair in the locker that are just like exactly. skate shoes. But yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, definitely interesting, like, you know, and I think, you know, thinking back in high school, like a lot of like how I dressed outside of school was more or less just kind of aligning myself with like my music tastes and my skateboarding, you know, so it was like, you know, you'd wear a skate tee and skinny jeans or a band tee, and, right. you know, kind of like black or red or black jeans if you had a colored shirt on that kind of thing, because I definitely kind of fell into that kind of like alternative rock, like, emo quote-unquote uh wave that kind of happened in the mid-2000s so okay yeah we, we talk a lot on the show about the um like the correlation between being in some sort of subculture be it music or skateboarding or whatever mm -hmm. um and then also being into like clothing because i think they're very related oh yeah yeah no i, de I definitely think so because i think like you know people who aren't necessarily tied to a subculture like I mean I guess I can't speak for those people necessarily but you know in my high school it was like you know outside of you know we'd have dress down days or you know after school dances that type of thing and you know a lot of the, my classmates would wear you know Abercrombie and you know Birkenstock Bostons and they kind of had this uniform you know polo shirts rugby shirts were really big and like I never identified with that so I feel like you know having to think about like, okay, I, I you know, I want to be different. So how do I, if that means I'm different, of course, you know, looking back, I think I dressed a, like a lot of my friends and a lot of people at that time who kind of were into these types of bands or, you know, kind of identified with skateboarding and that kind of thing. Totally. So is there a point that you realized that you were more interested in clothing than your peers? Um, you know, I, it, uh, it took a, uh, took a while. I, I, I would say, you know, I definitely like starting to get ready for college. I started thinking more about, you know, okay, I'm not just going to wear band tees all the time. And, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have a uniform to wear every day. So I, I you know, that was kind of when I started getting into thrift shopping, although, you know, I don't, can't say I knew particularly what I was doing back then, but I would, you know, buy 
flannel shirts. I remember uh, there was a leather like rider jacket that I had. Actually, I think it was like a cafe racer um, that I had that I wore. And that was kind of like my freshman year of college. Like I really bought a lot of things from thrift stores. And um, uh, I also, right before I started college, I had a summer job working at a Levi's outlet. Um, and I think that kind of also started planting the seeds of being in, into clothes. Um, I bought a pair of well, they give you a pair of jeans when you start to work there. So you have a pair <laughs> of jeans to work to your job. And, uh, so like a, 501 uh, shrink to fits or, or? I did. Well, so yeah, that's what I was going to say is that I got a pair of 501 shrink to fits. You were allowed to pick out anything. And for some reason. Oh, okay. Really gotcha. Drawn, gotcha. Really, I didn't know if there was really like drawn a. To that. Yeah. Like uh, I was, I was some, for some reason, imagining just like a massive table with a bunch of sizes of 501 yes and that's what this is the wear. employee uniform yeah, yeah no. right 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 yeah. this and a flannel no. shirt and some work boots man you're you're good to go that would have been our store our store would have been a lot cooler uh if that was <laughs> the case uh you know we were in like an outlet mall that was you know very much like our customer base was like foreign we would kind of get like you know people who are on visiting united states like would uh, get on a bus and get dropped off at our outlets and then uh, <laughs> come shop. So, and I, when we, yeah, when we start there, they would be like, you know, it'd basically just be like, pick out a pair of jeans in your size and you get, you know, you get comped them. So, but for some reason I decided to go 501 shrink to fits. I don't know how I knew about that, um, but I just thought it was really cool. And uh, yeah, that was kind of my first foray into like, you know, workwear and denim and that kind of thing. All right. Uh, where was the so, outlet? Uh, this was in uh, Rentham, Mass. So okay. I, I, if, you, if you've been to Providence, like that's kind of the closest like outlet mall uh, to gotcha. Providence. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So we were wondering then, um, as your sort of burgeoning interest in clothing grew, how the message boards and time sharpened your interest um yeah i mean i think that's that's really like how i got into all of this uh you know i had a tumblr uh and i was i don't i honestly don't know how i started following menswear blogs i you know i one of the early ones i remember looking at was put this on and kind of being intrigued by it. I, I'm sure it had, I, you know, I remember kind of having a Tumblr right around when I uh, graduated high school. So, you know, I definitely think there was, you know, trying to figure out how I should dress now that I'm going to college and I don't wear my uniform anymore. I think that had a, a play in it and maybe that's how I came across this stuff, but that's really how I got into it was just reading blogs and, and, and kind of being into Tumblr. You know, I eventually made a style forum account because I had some questions to ask people. Now I don't <laughs> remember what those were, but you know, whatever, you know, how to size something or something like that. I think that's how everybody had signed up for a style forum at some point oh, uh, totally. in their past. Totally. So and also then, just you know, shout out Tumblr and style forum because yeah, you guys form the basis for a lot. Like we wouldn't be doing this fucking show if oh, there yeah, wasn't no. upward and style forum. Exactly. No, I mean it was. I definitely like. I started getting into menswear right when there was, you know, like a quote unquote menswear boom, and it was, you know, really interesting. And you know, at the time, I think I was, you know, 
reading a lot about like Ivy style and, and that kind of like classic thing. And then, you know, simultaneously, like, you know, in Boston, we had the Ralph Lauren rugby store and it was kind of like spitting back out Ivy style for younger people. And I was eating that up. I mean, I, I, any spare Christmas money, whatever money I had, I would spend at, you know, the rugby sale and get as many pairs of chinos as I can, which is, you know, really funny thinking about it. Oh, man, went the, to arts, the arts university, chino, right? Money there. The university chino. I love yeah. that. Yeah I, yeah. I had at least three or four pairs. Um, and yeah, it's just funny because, you know, I, I also like leaving out part of the story is that I went to art school uh, and I studied printmaking. So it was kind of funny that I was getting into these kind of like classic, like preppy styles while I'm going to the school where, you know, people are dressed however the hell they want. You know, a lot of people kind of dressed like, you know, associated with subcultures, be that like punk or, you know, that type of thing. And then I kind of took that like, oh, to go against the grain here, I'm going to dress preppy, you know, right, and where right. And, you know, and mind you, there is a, a precedent for that. You know, I think like David Hockney is someone who, you know, dress kind of has this like classical sense of dress, but is an artist. And I, I find oh. that really fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, guys like him and like Warhol and, you know, like the the people that are that have been. I don't know, iconic darlings and in, in, for anyone that's like into clothing like they all had their own thing going on and they were like, Oh, like I love Brooks brothers. I love, you know, a prep kind of like trad vibe. And so, yeah. And, you know, they kind of turn it on. Yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely kind of people that you associate with, um, you know, having a uniform. There's also uh, like, uh, was it Bill Cunningham who was the uh, kind of, yeah. yeah street photographer who always wore the you know French French blue chore coat and like yeah. that kind of thing really appealed to me as you know kind of having this like I'm a creative person but like I wear you know a kind of wear clothes that follow rules but then you know I don't follow rules in my creative process that kind of thing uh, I think it really resonated with me in college and. I also started working like, you know, part-time and then eventually came full-time as like a desk job in an office being an administrative assistant. And it was also convenient that my clothing tastes were uh, business appropriate. So. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like for, you know, you were going through this in college while I was like in New York, kind of in the menswear industry at this point. And like, we both had very, uh, very similar ideas about shit. Like, Mm-hmm. I definitely got a French work jacket because one, I thought thing looked cool as fuck. Two, I saw Bill Cunningham in it. And I was yeah, like, oh yeah, shit, exactly. Yeah, like oh, this this is actually something that like people are into, and yeah, and it is rad. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, where did uh, the style bitter idea come from? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, like uh, it kind of predates like my selling used clothes online kind of predates style bitter that kind of came a little bit further along down the line. But, you know, as I said, I was a college student who was getting into clothes and, you know, the, I'd spend my money on sale clothes. And then I started, you know, I knew about thrift shopping, you know, just from high school and, you know, kind of looking for something to do and then kind of started going to all these thrift stores in Boston and being really blown away by the, um, you know, it's kind of classic menswear stuff that ended up in Boston, you know, at that time, you know, I would be reading online about Brooks Brothers, you know, sack cut sport coat. And then I go to the thrift store and I'd find one and I go, wow, right. this, this, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, especially with Boston kind of having that classic like trad, uh, you know, 
population. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think like the first time I bought something specifically to sell though, um, I found maybe five or six Hermes dress shirts. Uh, and, you know, I didn't know if they were real or not. Uh, I didn't know if they were, they definitely didn't fit me, but I said, Hey, these are five dollars each like i feel like i should take them home and you know post them on style forum and see what people think and that was the first time i sold something i think i actually posted it to like the style forum thrift thread like is this a thing you know because that's kind right. of a, a trope a trope in the style forum thrift thread and i think i actually had someone dm me and say yes i would like to buy those from you and i said holy cow like i could be buying stuff and selling it and uh you know it was always kind of a part-time thing that i was doing uh you know kind of outside of school when it happened free time i'd pop into you know a thrift store and pull out some stuff for me some stuff to sell and um you know put it on ebay when i had the time and it wasn't really until i graduated college um that i really kind of came up with the idea of it being called style bit or the idea of having like branding and a website and kind of you know this could be something more professional than just like me doing something in my free time. So I have a few extra bucks to buy some more stuff from the thrift store basically. Oh, totally, so, totally. Yeah. Um, so, so go ahead. No, no, no. You're, you're the guest. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I was just going to say is that like, you know, specifically like picking out the name like style bitter kind of happened as um, my partner, you know, my now fiance, then girlfriend, like she was working for a marketing software company and like one of the things that they have you do as part of your orientation is, you know, it, the software hosts your website and they have you create your own website with their product and, and, and build your website on it. And, you know, my, and my partner was like, oh, you know, do you think that, you know, you would want to do your eBay thing on this? And because it's, you know, I'm basically getting free access to, a, you know, a product that costs people money and I said yeah why not and you know I kind of tossed around a few ideas and at the time like I was running auctions on my eBay so style bitter and uh you know just kind of threw it together of course now I kind of look back and I don't do any auctions anymore so it's kind of yeah. funny that you know something related to auctions is my name but yeah. I just kind of stuck you, with it so you gotta adapt you know yeah exactly like you do this long enough there's there's changes that you have to make because oh, this works better for me. And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, big time. I mean, there, there's a lot that I've changed, you know, even from yeah when I first started, uh, you know, to now, of course, you know, I mean, it's been 10 years. So, you know, a lot of things are going to change. But yeah, definitely like the way I run my business, I've learned so much about it as I've gone on, of course. So. Was there a moment that you that you realized that you could do it full time? Like, I know that it was kind of a transition, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I had always wanted to do it full time. I mean, I, I'm just the type of person, and you know, I, I think Matt, you, we, you, we've related on this, is that I just don't like having a boss. I, I totally, really, totally. I I have, you know, I've worked. At, there's been a couple of good jobs that I've had with good bosses, but that is few and far between. So, you know, I. I I really, you know, always kind of wanted to do it full time, but, you know, didn't really know how to do it or know that I could support myself, you know, make enough to do it because I mean, I was, you know, maybe at the time uh, before I started doing it full time, maybe spending, you know, five, six hours a week on it. So, you know, the amount of return that I got from that was nowhere near what I needed to pay my bills. Um, right. And, but like what it took for me to actually, uh, do it and take the plunge of doing it full time was really um, moving somewhere rural, 
where, you know, my cost of living went way down, uh, my fiance having a really uh, stable income and kind of her encouraging me to be like, let's, let's try to do this. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I owe a lot of my success to her, uh, without a doubt. So fuck. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's like a moment when you're, you know, you've kind of been doing this for a while, part-time as a hobby or like a way to just, you know, enjoy something like I love thrifting personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 you and I have talked about this before, you know, the, the things that we get out of it, like, even if I don't find shit, it's still mm-hmm. like an enjoyable time, but then absolutely like, everyone, I feel like reaches that moment where it's like, okay, I can do this with the little effort that I put in. Or I can do this with all the effort that I have and make it actually something. And yeah. like, it's rad that uh, that your fiance supported that kind of like thought yeah. process with you. Yeah. No, I mean, and to be honest too, like you know, as crazy as as this is, like the pandemic really uh, gave me this experience in a really backwards way. Um, right. Yeah, dude. Same. So same. you know, it was kind of like being out of work, and then you know, on top of that, like we also like before the pandemic me and my fiance had actually moved to um, Ottawa Ontario uh, as part of her you know she had a job offer that she really wanted and you know they relocated us there and then six months later the pandemic hit and we were basically kind of stranded in this foreign country and we had some friends but you know didn't really get to see people or go see our families and uh, thankfully like her company ended up going remote only and uh, they said you know you can live wherever you want and we had always kind of you know when we lived in Boston, we'd spend our time in Vermont and, and uh, like on weekends and that type of thing. And we said, well, you know, here's our chance. And, you know, we kind of found a place online, a rental and said, let's give this a shot. And uh, didn't really know much about the town we moved in to or anything like that. And kind of just pulled up and, and ended up working. And when, yeah, when we moved back to the States, I said, well, you know, I, I had been out of work because of the pandemic for, for a little while then. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, I'm back and I can kind of, get hands on and on this again. And uh, let me just see if I can, you know, make this work full time and just see what happens and, you know, give it a, a few months and, and see how it's doing. And, you know, you really get what you put into it. And uh, I'm sure you can relate to that, Matt. And it was just, you know, wow, like I can sell so much more if I'm spending so much more time with it. And uh, right, right. Yeah, definitely. Like, saw the results although you know there were it definitely takes its time for sure but it helped that i had that base of you know doing it part-time for basically eight years um that definitely helped with the transition into full-time so yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where like it prepares you in certain ways but in other ways like i don't know it there are various elements to it that you end up just being like uh you know like uh you know, we wanted to ask, like, has selling full time going from more of a hobby to like a way to make a living as much as I hate that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that affected your passion for clothing at all? You know, in, in some I I don't think it's affected my passion for clothing. I still love clothing and getting to be around more of it is great. There's definitely like I can look back to when I did this part time and, and kind of point to it being more of a fun like woohoo, I made a sale. I get to go, you know, take my girlfriend out for dinner tonight. And now it's kind of more like, okay, I made a sale and I need to make 
10 more today to meet the type of sales that I want to, I right, want to see. Right, so, yeah. You know, some of the, some of the kind of the fun of it being a hobby was taken out doing it full time. But in terms of like being passionate about clothing, I don't, I, I think it's only strengthened it just being around it more, getting more into like, you know, niche things has really, uh, yeah, like helped up, up to my interest in it for sure. Yeah, that that's a great answer actually. Cause yeah, that it's nice to hear someone that like isn't jaded or cynical about shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I you mean, know? I have my moments. Don't get me. Oh, totally. So, as we yeah. all do. Yeah. You know, I get, it, I get it. Like the love and the passion really, really shine through and like come down to something, even yeah, if you're, yeah, exactly. you know, annoyed sometimes. Mm-hmm. It was a yeah, little no. bit of a loaded question. Right. I mean, like we knew you weren't going to say like, yeah, fuck them. I don't like clothes <laughs> at all anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, but, there's but like, definitely... that's, that's also the fashion industry in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like anyone that works in clothing or like music or any, any other thing that I feel like can be a hobby. Once you start doing that for your actual job to mm-hmm. be able to eat, like I, I've seen it kill people's passion for shit. So. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I'm not like it didn't completely kill my passion, but like I have a similar experience where like before the pandemic, I was working in the craft beer industry and, you know, it was something that I had been really interested in for a while. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I met great people, but like my interest in it definitely waned from working yeah. in the industry and, you know, kind of seeing all sides of it. You realize it's not as, you know, glamorous as it seems when you go to a tap room and you talk to the bartender, you know? So, right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Like, man, I just want something to drink. Like, I don't... Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to have to sell you on my beer all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, you know, have to work until, you know, 1am cleaning up after a party and then get up the next day and get up early to help on the packaging line and all of that type of thing. It's, you know, it's, it's hard work. And, you know, it goes the same with what I do now where it's like, it's hard work. And like, you have to be invested in the the overall thing, you know, really invested if, if, if it's okay to make the hard work feel okay. You yeah, know, if that makes sense. For sure. So, for sure. you know, your heart really needs to be in it. And yeah, you know, I definitely selling clothing. I mean, anybody can do it. There's a, you know, plenty of YouTubers out there now who are trying to sell you the, you know, you can make X amount of money from home in your free time. And, and you know, it you can, but you have to be really passionate about it to stick with it and really know how to adapt uh, to the changing market. So for sure. So I guess that um, maybe answers this question, but what do you think is the hardest part about selling clothes? Yeah, I I definitely think like, yeah, having like the knowledge base built up, uh, you know, knowing what sells, what doesn't sell, knowing where to sell certain things. Cause I mean, that's something just this past year, I started selling uh, kind of at in person at like vintage market pop-up events. And I definitely like, I started buying different things and seeing what stuck with different crowds. And, and even like I'll, you know, from market to market, we'll kind of curate the selection of things that I bring. So I think that's definitely one is kind of like knowing what to sell, knowing how to like adapt and what's popular. Cause I mean, when I first started, like, you know, I could buy any suit from an Italian tailor and put it up on eBay and have it sold in an hour for a decent amount of money. And now it's like, okay, like, yeah, I can't buy every 
piece from every Italian maker. It's, you know, maybe only these three and they have to be recently made and they have to be in pristine condition. So, you know, kind of knowing how to adapt is definitely something that uh, I think is tough. Uh, and the other thing I think just kind of goes to just kind of like a personal motivation thing is like, you know, motivating yourself, you know, when your own boss, when you're, when you are your own boss is uh, something that I've, you know, had to learn how to deal with. And I still don't necessarily have down. Um, but, you know, I, one of the things I learned this year uh, specifically is that like, you know, if you're consistent, uh, you know, whether it be like, uh, you know, posting on Instagram or posting new listings, like, you see consistent returns on that, that investment of time. And so that means you have to kind of like either plan out, you know, things in advance so that you're able to stay consistent on a day-to-day -day basis and still afford yourself time off, or you have to kind of like, you know, okay, well, this isn't getting done today. And that means that maybe I'm not selling as much this month. Um, so I think that's kind of something that, you know, and again, it, it's maybe more of like a personal motivation problem than it is something that, you know, everybody deals with in the industry. But I think working for yourself in general, you know, like having to learn how to do that is a skill that takes time to develop. Agreed entirely. Uh, I, I'd like to say that I am the only asshole I can work for, but sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's also just like, Man, my phone didn't charge overnight, and I, I'm at I'm at ten percent battery when I wake up. I'm like today's fucked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. To, like I'm not going to sell anything today. No big deal. Yeah, no. Uh, and you, as I said, like I definitely kind of had to learn. Like, okay, like even like now, you know, with the holidays coming up, and you know, I'm, I don't know if this is going live afterwards, but like, you know, I I've had a really busy week just trying to like get some ducks in a row so that I'm not not posting anything on Instagram for a week. I'm not, not posting anything on eBay for a week. Cause right. I know from experience that if I, if I do that, then uh, I see a dip in my sales or I see a dip in engagement on, on my social media and, and that ends up hurting my bottom line. So uh, totally. yeah, it's definitely a, a, a juggling act uh, yeah. for sure. So it definitely is. And, and hopefully it usually happens for me. So I hope it happens to all of us doing this dumb shit for a living. <laughs> uh we get a bump after the holidays yeah I, yeah I think no, for people sure. have money to spend and you know yeah that's no, at I least mean, like something to look forward to absolutely yeah no and honestly i've been even been blown away by this month and i mean i think part of that is i did kind of two uh markets this month and uh you know people seem to have uh deep pockets right now which i'm very thankful for so yeah if you've got yeah. the right stuff they like people like it and yeah want to enjoy it with you yeah and honestly like you know and I'm, I'm, i don't know if this is a question but just kind of on the flip side of like hardest part like funnest part for me is just like especially starting to do these markets and being able to interact with my customers more face to face is like being able to like help people like buy the clothes that they've always wanted to buy at the price point that's you know affordable to them that's like the most rewarding part of this job for me is just like because i'm someone who you know always likes nice things and can't always afford them. So like to be able to kind of help pass along that, like, yeah, you know, like you can be stylish, you can like what you like and still be able to afford it, whether it's secondhand or new. And uh, that's the part that I, I really enjoy the most. So. The best, most earnest fucking answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to it. Yeah, oh, sure it you totally. can relate to it. 
you know, yeah. where it's like, you know, you post something or, you know, you have something hanging up and someone walks over and goes, whoa, you know, this thing, like I've been looking for this thing for forever. I actually just had it uh, recently where I was um, promoting uh, the Alfargo's marketplace that I just sold at. And I posted as a little teaser, I put a little fit together on a mannequin. And one of the things I had on it was this Drake's uh, tartan um, horsey coat. And somebody DM'd me and said, oh my God, I've been looking for that coat for two years. Like what size? Nice. Is it? And of course it was a size. And he's like, I can't make it to the market, but can you ship it out to me? And I was like, you know what? Like you, you seem very passionate about it. You know, I, you know, I feel bad that I'm not bringing it when I was advertising that I was bringing it. But at the same time, like this guy was so excited to like find his grail. And, and, you know, I had to, I had to help him out with that. You know, it's just, I, I can relate to that feeling. So. 100%. So, uh, Ken, what is the best picking find you've you've had? And also, the flip side of that, one of the I know you do a little bit of vintage, but like, what's the oldest thing that you found? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Vintage is kind of something that, like, you know, I dabble in uh, recently more so, just doing these like markets and kind of having more affordable pieces uh, to kind of appeal to different crowds. Um, but I've always had an eye out for vintage. Uh, I do remember when I was living in Boston, I found a tailcoat that I believe was from the 30s or 40s. And that's definitely the oldest piece I've ever found. Uh, not the most exciting because it was just kind of a, you know, a piece of tailoring, but really yeah, cool that so it had the date, the date written out on it and to see like, oh my gosh, this is so old. Of course, I've sold so many pieces. I wish I remembered things more clearly. Uh, in terms of like exciting finds, the one I always go to to tell people about, because, you know, I have people, you know, family members will ask me like, oh, what's the craziest thing you found? Um, what I, this had to have been around, it was 2014, I think. Um, so like peak kind of menswear, being being into menswear on Tumblr, that kind of thing. And, you know, had seen this brand, Our Legacy, uh, you know, posted about and, you know, looked at stuff online. There was this bomber coat. Uh, that came out in spring of 2014. It was called like the extended zip bomber because it was basically an MA1 bomber jacket, but the uh, zipper went a little bit further than the um, the hemline. And uh, I remember thinking like, this is so cool. And, you know, one of these things I probably posted on my Tumblr, like, this is awesome, but, you know, would never be able to afford it. And and um, fast forward, so it came out in the spring and, you know, I definitely saw it then. And then in the fall, I was thrifting and I found it on a rack in a Goodwill. And uh, it was literally from that same, same year just like three or four months apart and I was just mind blown that somebody would get rid of something that quickly um and that one stayed it fit me and it stayed in my closet for a long while uh eventually didn't end up fitting me and <laughs> ended up being so yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's one I point to uh it, you know it's something that meant a lot to me because I was really hyped about like this is like you know me manifesting something that I saw on tumblr and it like appearing in real life almost right um, but there right. are some you know, there in terms of like stuff I've sold for a lot of money, like there are like, you know, I found a pair of uh, Levi's Big E Selvage from the late 60s. Uh, that was one of my highest sales for the longest time. Uh, one that's not that exciting and kind of a bummer that it's one of my highest sales is I found a Supreme Box logo uh, sweatshirt and sold that for a lot of money. And it's not something I'm particularly passionate about, though. So yeah. it's kind of like not not the first thing I first thing I list, you know, totally, um, totally. everyone's yeah, that, got that. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, you know, this made me the most money for sure, but it's it's not maybe the most exciting thing. Right, um, right. But yeah, the, the, that's the that's the Hall of Fame right there for sure. So. Solid. I like the Our, our Legacy story. 
Yeah, it just it was just one of those, you know, I at the time I think a lot of the thrifting I did was for more kind of traditional menswear like sport coats, suiting, shirt, you know, dress shirts, pants and like to find something that was like, whoa, this is like, you know, uh contemporary designer like streetwear piece that is sitting in a yeah. thrift store right now. Mind-blowing. And I mean, I kind of had a similar experience like the first time I found an engineer garments piece, which is, you know, my favorite brand. And I mean, I found an engineer garments Bedford jacket at a, a thrift store in Boston. And that was like absolutely mind blowing. Of course it was like, you know, a size extra small and would never fit me if I dreamed of it, but uh, it was still really cool. So, you know, it's, it's always blown away by the things you can find in thrift stores. You have a favorite piece of yours in your wardrobe. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have a lot of things uh, that I accumulate as you, know, as you do when you sell clothes. I've honestly even hit the like point where I'm very specific and pass on a lot of things for myself because I, you know, just know that, you know, it's just going to be something else that sits. But like one of the things that I think I really, uh, really enjoy in my closet is I have a um, engineer garments. Uh, they're my favorite brand. And uh, I have from, I believe it was their fall winter 2014 collection. I have one of their shawl collar. Uh, I think they called it the shawl collar knit coat, oh, but it's basically yeah. an oversized cardigan that has a belt and um, like the wood kind of like the classic tweed coat buttons. Um, and the fabric is it's, it's a, it's a knit fabric, but it's a knit herringbone pattern and it's in a gray. So it's like a light gray and a dark gray. Um, to me, it's just like such a cool, intersection of a lot of different menswear things just like doing this like herringbone pattern like it's a tweed but it's knit like a sweater but then it it's a shawl collar cardigan but it's oversized like a jacket and then it's belted like a robe but it's also a jacket like it's just like kind of this confluence of all all these things and it's part of the reason why i love engineer garments so much is seeing all of his um you know inspirations uh in in the pieces themselves and that's one that you know i'm honestly with the life i live now like i really don't wear that one very often it maybe comes out of the closet two or three times a year but it's one of those things i will never get rid of because it was you know a, a sales season splurge of a piece that i just knew i i had to have and, and uh yeah it, it'll always be with me so <laughs> yeah i uh i tried to work something into the intro with daiki um, yeah. <laughs> because I knew how much you loved engineer garments. The best I could come up with was Daiki Dula, which doesn't really <laughs> make any sense whatsoever. No, it does not. <laughs> but oh man. We That's we funny. spent what, Connor, like twenty minutes yesterday trying to figure that out. That's yeah. Yeah. We had a time. We had a time with it. It's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. So yeah. absolutely. No, yeah, I, I just... mean the engineer the engineer of garments is pretty good too. So Okay. Yeah. But, I'm I, yeah, I'm happy that's... with that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's... I definitely like I, I think like, you know, if you're into or like you know about kind of vintage clothing or like the histories of, of menswear, like and then you look at like contemporary uh, you know, menswear designers, I think engineer garments is one of those ones that like the influences are so clear and it's just really fascinating what he does and like how he takes, you know, workwear and Ivy style and, and kind of combines it into something that's new. And then he plays with the silhouette. So it feels like it's streetwear, even though it's, you know, a repro of a, you know, military trouser. Yeah. You know, he's kind of updated the cut in the way that you feel it feels contemporary. And uh, it's one of those things that like, like if you, if you have a few things, 
you can work them into pretty much whatever the fuck you wear. Absolutely. And it, yeah. And it goes well because like it's all, you know, all of the stuff and the, the ephemera and whatever that we're into as far as like people into clothing, it all ties back to certain shit. And so, yeah, yeah I think, I think you said it great. Like he tends to meld all of the stuff that, that influenced him and it, it can kind of work for a wide swath of people. Oh yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that you can wear his stuff. And yeah, I think what you said too, about kind of like being able to own just like a few pieces and still be able to wear it because, you know, there's a lot of designers that, you know, or contemporary designers that I really appreciate, but I just can't like, you have to go in my mind, you know, and maybe, you know, somebody more skilled than I can, can figure out a way around this. But like, you know, I really like double RL. I think he makes some really good, really amazing pieces Ralph you know Ralph and uh and or like I really enjoy capital um but my experience is like owning those pieces from pieces from those brands you know RRL you know there are some staples obviously like flannel shirt is a flannel shirt you'll always be able to work it into your wardrobe but you know owning kind of more of some of the more statement pieces from like brands like RRL or capital or kind of some of these more obscure Japanese brands like you end up kind of having to go like whole hog on it otherwise like you end up like feeling weird about it in my experience it's just maybe what I'm comfortable with but like for instance like I've for a long while always wanted a capital raincoat which is kind of their crazy uh hooded peacoat military inspired but funky fabrics like really out there jacket and you know in my head it was always like oh you know you could throw this on with like a standard workwear fit and it would look all right and I actually got one in uh, just this past year from a consigner um uh and i tried it on and it fit me and you know i, I gave it some thought like do i want to buy this from my consigner and uh as i started putting together some outfits with it i said i don't own weird enough clothes to make this work almost you know <laughs> which is saying something because i own some weird clothes so uh you know i and and like you know i think people who wear that stuff wear it well but like i think you know a lot of people who wear that stuff have to go all the way in on it. You know, VisVim, I think, is one of those brands that I, I feel the same way about where, like, I really appreciate their aesthetic. But I, you know, if and if I were able to, you know, spend all the money in the world to redo my budget, maybe I'd buy enough that I, I could, you know, put together some outfits with it. But owning only being able to own a couple pieces is, is a challenge, um, you know, when it comes to certain brands and that and certain styles, for sure. For sure. I I really think we could have had like a 45 minute conversation solely based on this last subject. Oh, that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, man, uh, Ken, dude, thank you for coming on. Um, and we always give our guests a uh, section to shout some stuff out. So have at it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm at style bitter on Instagram. That's kind of my main uh social media feed uh you know through there you can find my links to my grail page and my ebay page um i sell secondhand and new sometimes uh men's wear that kind of has a curated aesthetic and sometimes it's vintage sometimes it's new and uh i'm also offer consignment so if you're ever you know looking to uh clean out your closet or you know trade some stuff i'm always down so uh yeah you can just find me on Stylebitter on Instagram or uh, stylebitter.com. So awesome. Awesome. And what's the market that you do like pretty regular? Uh, yeah. So uh, Burlington Vintage Market, we do two or three times a year. Uh, and that's uh, in Burlington, Vermont. And uh, that, 
that's one that's awesome. And, you know, Alfargo's marketplace, I know Shane has sh shouted them out on the, his episode, but highly recommend uh, if you live in New York City, you go check out Alfargo's marketplace and you'll probably see me there in the future. So awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Um, I'm Matt Smith at Rebels Rogues. And I'm Connor Fowler at Connor Fowler. And uh, yeah, if you have any feedback or questions, uh, at Apocalypse Duds on Instagram, at Ap or, uh, sorry, Apocalypse Duds at gmail.com. And yeah, we don't know if we've actually got an email yet. So feel free to shout or shoot <laughs> one our way. But yeah, Ken, <laughs> Ken, thank you again, man. And thank you guys. This was really fun. Hell yeah.